right, good morning, Calvary. Welcome to the last Sunday in our series of Exodus. We have been journeying for the last three months through this book. Who's excited for it to end today? <laughs> Who wants more? Like, give me more Exodus. Woo! Ah, another season, friends, another season. If, if you are brand new this morning, this is the best Sunday for you to join us because we are going to bring it all together and see where God leads next. The book of Exodus is God's historical account of what God really did in bringing his people, Israel, out of a place of bondage where they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. And he was making good on a promise that he gave to a man named Abraham. That he said to Abraham, I, I'm going to bring your descendants that are going to be numerous like the stars into a place that's flowing with milk and honey, a land that they can have their own and settle in, that they can be able to raise families in and, and develop an economy in and then rejoice in and love. And there's going to be a season where your family members, Abraham, are going to be enslaved, but I will be faithful to come and bring them from that place. And Exodus is the story of God's faithfulness in making good on all of his promises. And here we have seen God in a, hopefully in an enlarged way. We've been saying we want a bigger and bigger picture of God so that we would learn to trust him more and more. And as we've seen that he is the God who is the one who hears and he sees and he knows the sufferings of his people. And that God himself responds to that. That he's in relationship with his people and he chooses a man named Moses to be his instrument to lead his people out of a place of bondage and bring them to a place of promise. And we've seen that God is the one that has protected them and provided for them, that has guarded them and guided them along this whole journey. And Israel begins to learn that God has been trustworthy to bring them out. He's been trustworthy to bring them out of bondage. And the question as the book of Exodus concludes is, will they now trust him to bring them in? They, they have seen that he is trustworthy to bring them out of bondage, but will they now trust him? Have they learned enough about him to put their trust in him to bring them in? The, actually, the book of Exodus ends where we, where we left off last week, which was chapter 40. I don't know if you recognize that or not, but we ended where the book of Exodus ends. That God has made good on his promises to bring his people to Mount Sinai, to bring them into covenant, to establish them as his nation, and then he dwells among them. That God's presence was felt throughout the story, but now it is felt within the camp of Israel. Not just outside or on some mountain, but with his people. And then he promises that he will be with his people as they journey from this place all the way into the land of promise. But they're not in the promised land as Exodus ends. Spoiler alert, if you didn't know that, Exodus doesn't bring them to the promised land. It doesn't just like tie up the story with a nice bow and say, there you go, happily ever after. I mean, that's how we like our stories to end. Oftentimes that's how our testimonies end. It's one of my struggles with Christian testimonies up front is that it just seems so buttoned up as it's so finished. And I just know that for my life with God, there are times which I sense his presence and I rejoice in his presence and then it's like the next journey just starts. And all again, I have to learn to trust him for the road ahead. And so Exodus concludes with God dwelling with his people, this triumphant tabernacle that's gonna journey with them as the journey now begins in to the promised land. We've seen this whole journey out 
and now they journey in. And so the journey changes, and they have to relearn to trust God in all of this. One of the next things that happens is that Moses brings them to a place where they can actually go and spy on the land. And Moses sends in 10 spies, two we know by name, Joshua and Caleb. We're familiar with their names, Joshua and Caleb. And he sends 10 spies in to go spy out the land that God has promised to give them. And the spies come out, they come back, and the overwhelming report is, we can't do it. We, we can't do it. Like, they're too big. They're too fortified. That's a scary place. We're not going to survive if we try to go in on this conquest to take hold of the promise that God has given us. Eight of the spies bring this report back. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, say, we can trust God. God has become big enough to us. He's trustworthy enough. If he can bring us out, he can bring us in. Come on! But the people believe the report of the eight. And they rebel against God. They fear. They don't trust him. And now they begin a season of journeying, of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. In fact, this generation that comes out of Egypt is not the generation that's going to go into the promised land because they will not trust God. And even in the midst of that, Moses himself is so frustrated with the people that he does not stand up for God's holy name. In the, in the, in the area of sin, Moses does not do what God asks him to do. And as a consequence, Moses can only see the land from afar. I want to show you a little bit of where this narrative goes, and I want to pick it up of where it is that we can find courage. I mean, the journey ahead is long. It's hard sometimes to follow God. I think of this, this, this Christmas and Thanksgiving season that we're about to enter. There's so much of family dynamics and emotions and things that we bring to the holidays that it's hard on many of us. I always say this, whatever fire you've got cooking, in your marriage or your family, the holidays are just gasoline. The holidays are just gasoline poured on whatever fire you've got cooking. And then we look at the journey ahead, I wanna ask this question. What journey are you on that right now you need faith in God for? What is the number one thing right now that you are trusting God for? Where are you in this following of God, this journey with God? Now I get a little glimpse into this journey the next stage in your life through the prayer requests. That many of you, as we ask, like, write in your prayer requests. Let the staff and the elders pray for you every single week. Let me come alongside you in prayer. And as you write in and we learn about, you're, you're crying out to God for financial provisions, for health, for your marriage and family and children, asking for faith in your life. I see a bit of the journey that many of you are on. Where is it that you are needing faith in God? Where is it that you need courage to continue to follow in this journey? As the story of Exodus begins to turn and the journey now turns to the next chapter, they're gonna need courage as well. And so I wanna to go to the book of Joshua to show you the source of their courage that brings them into the promised land so that you can have the same source of courage in whatever season, whatever struggle, whatever issue you're dealing with today. So the seasons change for Israel. And as I said, the leadership changes in Israel. I'm going to show you this. It's not, it's not up on the screen. It's just here in your Bibles. This is Numbers. So after Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy carries the story forward to the edge of the promised land, just on this side of the Jordan before they cross over. But it's in this season 
that Moses and the people rebel against God. It says, the Lord said to Moses, go up into this mountain of Abram and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was because you, Moses, rebelled against my word in the wilderness of sin. When the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. Let the Lord, the God, of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man, Moses asks, over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out, of the, out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. And so God tells Moses, there's a consequence to the people, and, and you'll be part of that consequence. You'll see the promised land from afar, but you won't be able to come in. And Moses says to God, God, these people need a shepherd. They need a leader. Don't leave them as sheep out here in the wilderness. Give them someone, that, as, as I have brought them out with you, bring, give them someone now to bring them in. And God says, we will, we will bring the man Joshua. Joshua has served with Moses. He has served and ministered with Moses on the mountain. He has soldiered with Moses. He has actually fought a, a famous battle in the book of Exodus we saw with Moses. And then Joshua is one of the spies that, that Moses sent out. And so here you see this man named Joshua that God is going to appoint. But it's not because of his skills or his experience. It is because, it is said, he is filled with the Spirit. All leaders need to be spiritual leaders for God's people. It's not their skills or their resume. It's that they are filled with with the Spirit. And so Moses anoints Joshua for the task ahead, to take his place. And as God promised, Moses will be gathered to his people. And so you go from num Numbers over to the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy ends, chapter 34, with the death of Moses. Chapter 34, verse 4. Man, it's good to hear those Bibles turning. Did you, that's like a sound you should add to your iPad as you like swipe right, like whoosh. All right, and the Lord said to him, this is to Moses, the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to your offspring. I will let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Por. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And then you turn the page, comes Joshua. And it's just the continuation of the story. God is always journeying forward, bringing his plans and purposes to fruition. And here Joshua 1 opens with this. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. So the mantle goes from Moses to Joshua. As all good leaders come, 
all good leaders go. And when there's a change of leadership, there can be a sense of unease, of restlessness with people. Like, what will the new leader be like? Will they be like the same person that we've experienced? I mean, especially when it comes to iconic leaders like Moses. I mean, established leaders like Moses. Moses isn't a one-term president. He's not a two-term, eight-year president. He has been leading this people for 40 years. The people on the edge of the Jordan going into the promised land have known no other leader than Moses. And there can be a sense of unease of what will the new leader bring? Can we trust them? Can we follow them? And so the choosing of Joshua will be essential. In the American history, there's one war that's considered the bloodiest war, and that's the Civil War. More lives were lost in this war. And the, and the iconic leader of its day was President Lincoln. And Lincoln's desire was that America would stay as one. And throughout the whole Civil War, the Union know, knew one leader. The South knew of one leader. This is Lincoln. There were other sergeants, there were other military generals, but Lincoln was the president. And then in April of 1865, the war ended, and the United States preserved as one nation. And now the, the chapter turned. Was, okay, the war is over. What will the future be? How do we bring in the South? How do we preserve the family? How do we restore and heal from so much bloodshed? How will Lincoln do it? And two days after the war, Lincoln was killed, assassinated by John Wilkes Booth. And a new leader now was coming, the vice president, Andrew Johnson. What will his leadership bring? There's an unsettling in the nation. Of will he be like Lincoln? Does he hold the same convictions? Will he move forward with the same policies? The South, will, they, will he bring us in or will they just simply dominate us in the days to come? As the nation was grieving in this unsettled nature, Walt Whitman, a famous poet who actually served in the army in the hospitals of the Union, wrote a famous poem speaking to the unease of the death of an iconic leader. This is what he writes in the first stanza of his poem. O captain, my captain, our fearful trip is done. The ship has weathered every rack. The prize we sought is won. The port is near, the bells I hear. The people all exulting. While follow eyes the steady keel, the vessel grim and daring. But, O oh, heart, 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 O oh, the bleeding drops of red, where on the deck my captain lies, fallen, cold, and dead. The leader is gone. Who do we trust? Where does the courage come from to now move forward? As Deuteronomy ended, the death of Moses, the people of Israel mourn his loss for 30 days. And then Joshua picks up that God's story is not over. Remember, remember when we opened up Exodus, we said, okay, the habit we have is looking at Exodus and saying, okay, there's, there's Moses and there's Joshua, there's, there's Jethro, we have Miriam and Aaron. It's the story of Moses and these characters. We said, no, this is not the story of Moses. He's a character. But the main character, the story of Exodus, 
is God's story. It's God's story. And, and there are many that play a part, but God is moving his story forward. And even though Moses dies, the story, the promises of God do not die with Moses. They belong to God. And so God raises up Joshua and continues to move the story forward. And with what could only be sensed as this uncertainty of moving in the journey, continuing to go in a land that they don't know yet. God's going to lead them to a place they've never been before. They now are going to be trusting this man named Joshua. Now, Joshua wasn't always his name. In fact, his, his mother has told of us, named him Hos or Hosea or Oshua, meaning salvation in the Hebrew. And it's actually Moses himself who either renames Joshua or calls him by another name as Joshua meaning God is salvation or Yahweh is salvation. This name Joshua is written in the Hebrew here. And when, when the Greeks translated the Old Testament, it became known as the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. They translated the name Joshua to Jesus in the Greek, where we get our English word and name, Jesus. Joshua is the name that Mary gave her son because Jesus would save his people. And the typology that the author is pointing here, the typology that God uses in names gives us a really good picture of what God's doing. That Moses was the typology of the law, was known as the father of the law. The law came through Moses. But the law of God did not bring them into the land. The law of God could not bring them into the promised land. But the salvation of God does. The salvation of God brings them to the place of promise, this place of rest. It is Yeshua, Jesus, who saves. And so Joshua now is given this task of bringing the people, continuing the journey, and it takes great courage. And so God is going to give Joshua great courage to lead this people. We'll pick it up in verse 3. He says, Every place that your soul or your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised Moses. And then he talks about the boundaries. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river of Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. And he says, I love how he reminds it, just as I promised Moses. Nothing's changed, Joshua. My, just as I promised, he calls him my servant Moses. He still has this deep affection for Moses, my well-done and good, faithful servant, Moses. Just as I promised, my good and faithful servant, Moses, I'm going to fulfill with you, Joshua, to give you this land. And it's, it's important to remember that this land is a gift from God. It says that you are given to them, given to you, that God is a gift-giving God. And this was a good gift that God had for his people. He doesn't bring Joshua to the land. He's like, all right, buddy, now go get it. Go get it based on your own strength, your own military might, your own experience. Go get it. He says, no, I'm going to give it to you just like I promised I would to my good and faithful servant, Moses. I now promise to you. And in verse 5, we will see that this is where he picks up on the, the source of the courage that Joshua needs. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, 
Joshua. No one can stand against this. You're going to be able to accomplish. The victory is already won. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. That's what he says to Joshua. Isn't that the words you need to hear? If you're about to enter the new season of the journey, an uncertain season, that the God that you have seen walk with Moses, talk with Moses, meet with Moses, says to you, as I promised Moses, I will promise you, and I will not leave you or forsake you. As I was with Moses, Joshua, I will be with you. So what we learn about the courage that Joshua is given is that the courage that Joshua has comes from abiding in the promises and the presence of God. This is the source of Joshua's courage, that he would abide in the promises and the presence of God. This is the source of his courage. Now, we often take Joshua as a study of leadership, which is great. Joshua is a phenomenal leader. But more than the necessary attribute of courage for leadership, you need courage to follow. See, so many times we think of Joshua as, okay, he's the courageous leader, but what we really need to see is Joshua's the courageous follower. In order to continue to go and follow God, that takes courage. Especially when God says, okay, I'm going to use you as the centerpiece of how Israel's going to look and know to follow me. It's going to be you, Joshua, that will paint the picture to them what it looks like to follow God into his good and faithful promises. And you will need courage, not so much to lead, but you need courage to follow, to follow the leading of God. And so that courage comes from, I promised Moses this, I promise you, and I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. And so we pick it up in verse six. The next thing he says, be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. And do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God gives Joshua the courage to continue the journey forward after the Exodus. And the courage comes from abiding, abiding. That means remaining in God's promises. That's his words and God's presence. And so what we see here is actually what's called a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure is a, is a Hebrew literary tool to help the reader understand what the main point is. And so if you're reading just Hebrew, it doesn't have exclamation marks and you don't bold certain things. You don't highlight in red, put it in comic sans or papyrus. You don't have any of those tools. And so to help the reader know what's important here is you build a chiastic structure where the first and last parallel each other. 
and then the second and the second to last parallel each other, and then the third and the third to last parallel each other, and so on and so forth, until you get to the centerpiece of importance. And what you see here is this repetition that you heard it. And so the first and the last begins, I will be with you. And then the second and the second to last is, be strong and courageous. And the third is that you will have good success and that you will be successful. And the centerpiece of it all, in the middle of God being the one who's with you, God giving the courage, your success comes to this, that the book of the law will not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night. How do you know that you stay in the presence of God? That where God goes, you're going with the presence. Is that you only know what God says. That's how you know where God is. How do you know if you stay in step with God? Well, what did God say? What did he promise? Where did he say to go and are you going? Imagine if back in Egypt, God had come to the people and said, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. I promise to bring you into a land, of, of land flowing with milk and with honey. And the people said, I don't believe it. I'm not going to abide. I'm not going to follow your words, what you've promised me. Well, God is going to move the people out and perhaps you stay. Because you did not remain in God's words and his promises, you did not remain in step with God's presence as he was leading you out of Egypt, out of bondage to the land of promise. This, this principle of abiding in God's words so that you would be prosperous. Not like prosperity gospel, so you get a bunch of money, you get the new Mercedes, the new house, but that your life would be prosperous. That your family would be prosperous. That your relationships would be full of life. That's the kind of prosperity we're talking about here. The fullness and freedom of God. That you would experience that is to be rooted in knowing and meditating on the words that Moses gave. The book of the law. And meditate is the idea that you would actually think about it so, so deeply that you would murmur. It actually says murmur. The murmur of the words of God. That as, as it's coming alive, you murmur them to yourself or you teach them to others. The book of the law is the source of their life. To be in God's word is to be in the presence of God, in step with God. You experience the freedom and fullness of the promises of God. And this, this was the same that we would have our courage in the presence and the promises of God. That was the same for Moses. That was the same for Abraham before. This is the same of the future leadership of Israel, of those who were healthy and led Israel well. This comes after Joshua to the judges like Deborah and to the kings like David. The Psalms open. Psalms 1 is one of David's psalms. And just listen to the, the words picked up in Psalm 1. Right here, from the leadership of Joshua. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. That is the source of courage for the leadership of Israel to continue to follow God in the seasons ahead. That they would abide in God's promises so that they would remain in God's presence. That's what God is giving Joshua. And that they would meditate on it day and night. Now day and night is the Hebrew way of saying always. Do it always. Open up God's word always. Memorize it so it's in your head always. Let me ask you this question. 
Do you open up God's word, meditate on it, after you leave here on Sunday morning? Do you have a rhythm or a habit of opening up the scriptures in the morning, maybe at lunchtime or in the evening? We would call that a devotional life so that you would have the courage you need to continue to follow God in all the seasons ahead. That you would abide in his word always. That you would open it up and say, God, what have you promised? What have you asked? What have you commanded? I want to be faithful to follow you. It seems kind of crazy. There's a bit of fear ahead on the horizon. And so I come and I get in your word to know where you're leading that I might stay in step with you. If you don't have a devotional life, we would love to help you with that. You can just reach out to our community life team here at Calvary. You can stop by the Welcome Center and just ask someone, how, how do I start a devotional life so that I would meditate, that I would know God's promises day and night always? Because I need courage to continue to follow God in the journeys, the days, the seasons ahead. And so this is the source of Joshua's courage that he would abide in God's word, his promises that he gave to Moses, and that he would abide in God's presence. So this is the key, that God is with Joshua all the days of his life. And the sweetest thing happens, that after the commissioning of Joshua, there Joshua now goes to the people. And in verse 10 he says this, Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp, and command the people, prepare provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And in three days, with courage, rooted in God's promises long ago, seeing that God is faithful and trustworthy, they cross the, Jer the Jordan and enter into the place of promise. So, you know, you come to our life, we talk about our seasons of the journey ahead, like, what does it look like to take that step even today or tomorrow? Into the unknown of, of where God's leading. We need courage. I was talking to Perry Marshall, who's teaching on the Boulder campus this morning. And as we were talking about courage and the need for courage, he had shared with me that he had listened to a speaker one time talk about three kind of seasons or three instances in which you need the courage of God to continue to follow God. There are three seasons that he recounts from this speaker. and There are three seasons that I would share with you. There are seasons and there are times that we need courage in order to stay rooted where we are because it would be so much easier to just run and go. And we need courage to say, okay, I'm just going to hang out right here. I'm not going anywhere. God, give me the courage to get rooted right here. Because it would be so easy to just go. I think of seasons in marriage. I think of seasons at work. I think of seasons in relationship. Where things just become really challenging. And it just seems so easy just to run. But when God calls you to stay... You need courage to stay. There are other seasons when it'd be so easy to stay. It's like just like apathy, like, oh, I'll just like hang out here, no big deal. Like, I don't want to push the buttons. I'm not going to deal with conflict. I won't challenge anything. I'm just going to stay here. When really God is calling you to go, 
You know the next season ahead, and God is trying to draw you into this. And you say, I don't know anything about that. This is familiar. Yeah, it's kind of messy here. Yeah, it's kind of robbing my life a little bit here, but I'm just going to go ahead and hang out because I don't really care so much. But you need courage to follow God and go. The third one he had mentioned was there's a season of life when it takes courage to ask for help, when it just seems like you should have it all together. And the expectation of people in your life, you just sense is, well, they think I should have it all together. And so I'm not going to ask anyone for help. I'm not going to tell anybody what's really going on. I'm not going to tell anybody about my doubts, my struggles. And so I'm just going to go ahead and remain quiet. But the courage we need to continue to follow God forward, to can follow God wherever he's calling us, is rooted in the promises and the presence of God. And so I put it this way, that we need courage to stay we need courage to go, and we need courage to let someone know. That's what we need courage for as we follow God. And many of us in this room, this last one is going to be the, the first step that you have this week. Is to go to your life group, go to your family members and say, I haven't told anybody this at all, but I need help. I need help. I can't do this alone. I need help. Tell your life group for the first time ever, you always thought that I was all put together, that I had it all together, but I don't, and I need help. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to live the Christian life, doesn't it? But God supplies it to you, friend. As Exodus ends and the new journey begins, and the new journey is to the unknown, that we've seen the faithfulness of God to bring us out. Will he be faithful? Can we trust him to bring us in? You need courage. And the courage to follow God comes from abiding in his promises, that we would abide in his presence. Jesus Christ, he told his disciples, I'm going to send you on mission to go make disciples of all the earth, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them all that I have commanded you, and the source of courage to do it, lo, I am with you always. I am with you always. I promise to be with you always. The same God that spoke with Moses, that led Joshua, is Jesus with us today. And Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John that we can do nothing apart from him, that we are to abide in him. And if we obey him, we abide in him. And so, friends, as the journey moves on, a new day dawns tomorrow, I pray courage over you. We're going to have the team come back up, and we're going to sing God's praises of his faithfulness to bring out and to bring in but would you stay with me? And may I pray Joshua 1, 9 over you. Lord, I pray for this community of people, men and women, who need faith in order to go instead of remaining and staying. Who need faith to stay when it's so easy to go? Who need faith and courage to let someone know what's going on? And so, Father, would you give us the courage that it takes to follow you? But I pray this over my family members here at Calvary, that we would be strong and courageous, that we would not be frightened, that we would not be dismayed, for you, Lord, our God, 
is with us wherever we go. Amen.